So if you take your Bibles, go to Psalm 104. As you go to Psalm 104, uh, today what I want to do is, uh, first of all, I am not the pastor, I am the student pastor. Uh, pastor Chris is on vacation, and it's a much-needed vacation. I'm thankful my pastor can do that um, and be comfortable in, in leaving uh, his pulpit uh, in, in my hands but, or in someone's hands that he trusts, but it's good to, for him to get away. And so today, uh, the goal or the task at hand is to speak on the wisdom of God uh, and to speak on, um, on, his, on his mighty wisdom. And the problem is, and the problem is, is I just won't leave, okay? Can we do that? You want to do that? Okay. And the problem is, is that when you do this, uh, we're speaking on something that is, is, is wiser than us. Uh, is, is perfect wisdom. And so for me today, the only thing I can do is just stay in the Word and let the Word speak of His wisdom. And so that's my goal today is, is as we look at uh, that is God is wise or God is all wisdom, uh, that, is, that is what we're going to do. And so if you saw the message or the, the, the verse up top, it's in Psalms. So we're going to Psalm 104. And in Psalm 104, we're going to go to verse 24. And so if we'll stand, I'm going to read one verse, one verse because there's much to be said about the wisdom of God from his word. And so here it is. It says this in Psalm 104 and verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. Say it again. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all The earth is full of thy riches. Father, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your many blessings. And Father, we ask you today that you allow your word to speak. Lord, may it be your word that goes forth. Lord, it is your word that teaches us who you are. It is your word that is wisdom. And so, Father, I pray, may we give ear. And Lord, may we not be as those that hear and then not listen and obey, but that, Father, will be ones that hear, and then, Lord, we, we, we act upon what it is that you have to say to us. Lord, be with us as we, again, uh, get into this topic of that is of your wisdom. And, Father, may you have the glory for it all, and all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Behold our God. Today, we are taken on the task. I'm taken on that of, of an opportunity to look at the attribute of God. This attribute that we're looking at today is known as his omnisapience. If I'm even saying that correct, I promise you that's not a word that I go around using. But it is one of those omnis uh, that we need to be aware of. We need to make sure that we fully understand them so that we can have a better knowledge of who it is that we say we put our faith in. By this, this word omnisapience, by this we mean the all wisdom of God. That is, listen to me church, God has all wisdom. There is a vast difference, listen to this, in wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is what one knows. Wisdom is the perfect display of that knowledge. Wisdom includes discernment and judgment, which we lack both in the world that we are living in today. Wisdom includes discernment and 
judgment. In the past weeks, we have learned, or we will learn, some of the other attributes that complement this attribute of God. One of those that we have learned is going to be the omniscience of God. He knows all the facts and possibilities. Another one would be He is omnipotent. And that is He has the ability to make the plan come to be. God must have a plan and the ability to bring it to fruition. Certainly can't have a plan, certainly can't have a plan that will not come about because that would make him not, not God. There's also another attribute which we learned just the other Sunday, and that is the omnibenevolence. He ensures that the plan provides the maximum good for all parties. And what happens is, as we look at God's wisdom, we need to realize that all of those have a part in making this take place. God's wisdom is defined as, and this is a part where I didn't have a piece of paper for y'all to write on, so I would encourage you like I did first service, just write in your Bible, okay? And if you don't believe writing in your Bible is a good thing, I told the first service, you should because the pastor's going to preach from your Bible one day, possibly, and so if you do anything, I think would be funny. You write in the word, just write, hey, pastor. And then that way, as he's reading through it, when he's preparing, you're saying hey to him from the other side. But anyway, that's nonsense. The definition, though, for that of God's wisdom, it is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. Say it again. Use the word perfect twice. The ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. God makes no mistakes, y'all. Everything He does is perfect. Nothing God does can be approved upon. Nothing can be added to or taken away from what God does in order to make it better. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before Him. Now we got to have a proper understanding of that word fear though. Because when people hear that, they say, oh, there's another one of those brow-beaten preachers. And he's going to tell me, no, 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 no. We need to understand what it means when it says that we should have a proper fear of God. The term fear God appears four more times in the book of Ecclesiastes. John MacArthur says it this way. He gives a definition to this term. It's acknowledging God's enduring and perfect work. And then what happens is, is as we're acknowledging God's enduring and perfect work, it becomes the grounds for reverence, for worship, and meaning. When you and I fear God properly, it will have and should have an impact on that of our reverence for Him, for that of our worship for Him, and that of the meaning of us and who we are to Him. Apart from God, man's works are pitifully inadequate. The inadequacies are made known to us in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, we're not going to read those for time's sake, 
But in Romans 1, in verse 26 through 32, we are made very aware of where the depravity of man's mind goes when they rely on their own wisdom. If you're not familiar with Romans chapter 1, church, I would encourage you, take and read that chapter. Take and read that book. Because Romans 1 is a great picture of where America and the church is today. As I began to look at this fear of the Lord and understanding what it meant, in Psalms 111 verse 10 it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Remember, the fear is the grounds. It's understanding and having our grounds for the reverence of God, for the worship of God, and for the meaning of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 9 in verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs chapter 15 in verse 33 says this, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 reminds us as why we should fear the Lord. And in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 it says, Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed. I'll say it again. That's really not, it's like, it's like more than what you normally should do. I'm reminded of a story when it comes to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. And that is, is if you ever go to the beach and you go, you get in the water and as you're out playing in the water, if you're not paying attention where your mom and daddy is on the, on the, on the beach, then what happens is, is normally you find yourself way down somewhere because of what that of, um, of the tide does. It pulls you away. But what you do is you work hard all day long because mom and dad says, stay in front of us, stay in front of us. I need to see you. And so you work extra hard to keep that. You you work earnestly to keep your vision on that of your mom and dad. If you and I have a proper fear of God, and that is of our reverence, our worship, and our meaning, then therefore we will want to keep our eyes on Him. It is not a Sunday morning thing. It is not a Sunday morning get-together for our social club here at our church. This is a daily walk with God. This is a daily opening His Word. This is a daily singing His praises. This is daily, folks, daily that we need to be there. Why? Lest at any time we should let them slip. What? Let what slip? Well, that of the teachings of God's Word. That of understanding who God is. Well, let me ask you this week. Please don't raise your hand. But let me ask you this week. Who has spent time this week in your time of listening to music that you've even bothered to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords? You see, he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. The, the psalmist here in Psalm 104, he begins one of the greatest... They say, commentators say, that Psalm 104 is one of the greatest hymns that the earth has ever had given to them. It says this about Psalm 104. It says it's the most perfect hymn the world has ever produced. Even Christian poetry has never succeeded in approaching this psalm, this hymn. And the writer says in Psalm 104, 
which is David, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. How great is our God. But it's not just for Sunday morning. This is something where God says, hey, I am great every day. I am not just great on Sunday. I'm not just great whenever you need me to uh, come and answer a prayer. I am great always. Worthy to be praised. Our key verse reminded us there in verse 24 that he is the creator of all. As you go through Psalm 104, and I have done much since March of going through 104. In Psalm 104, the psalmist goes and he lays out each day of creation and he's praising God for each one of those days of creation. He's praising the one that created it all. Remember I spoke of Romans chapter 1 where it says there, like in verse 22, I think, where it says they exchanged the truth of the, of the creator and they begin to worship the creature. And what happens is, is God reveals His wisdom through that of His creation. And what we've done is we've taken that of the teachings of creation and we've mingled it with the seeds of evolution. God's wisdom in His creation, when He speaks of that, the whole psalm speaks of how great our God's wisdom is when He created what He created in those six days. When we make light or listen to this, when we make light of or we change the bigness, and that was my word, in the bigness of creation, it affects everything else that involves God. Listen to me, church. When we make light of that of who our Creator is, then the way that we view His creation and the way that we view the Creator, it affects everything else that we believe about the Creator. You say, surely not. Well, let me read something to you. This was a poll that was done in 2019, so I'm sure it's only gotten worse. But the Christian Post, which I'm careful with anyway, but they worded it this way. Please take no offense. I can tell you that they, they, they polled it by color of people, which is sad but also informative as well. But listen to this, church. You ready? If you ask white evangelical Protestants whether they believe humans have evolved over time, 32% agree that they have, according to the Pew Research Center. 32% of white evangelicals. That's people claiming to be Christians, claiming to believe much as Cambry uh, sung today, that of what? Yes, she, she trusts that of the teachings of God's word. That's all she knows, to put my trust in his word. But they, 32% of white evangelicals, they believe that man has evolved over time. But that's the only case when the, question, when the question got split into two parts, they asked two types of questions. And when posed with the only one question, listen to this, ready? Uh, did, did God, let me show you this. Or it says, after their first question of whether humans have evolved or existed in their present form since the beginning. So, so they ask, all right, did, 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 did man evolve over a period of time? And by the way, did God have a part in it? Those who agree, and then they were asked if they believe evolution occurred to, due to natural selection or if God had a role in it. And when posed with only one question, white evangelical Protestants are more likely to say evolution occurred and less likely to hold a creationist stance. 
In fact, the percentage jumps from 32%. Listen to this, church, because I'm sure there's some in this room as well. 32%, it jumps from 32% to 62% who agree that humans evolved over time. 62% of evangelicals would say that, no, my God, well, he may have had a role in it, but, but, but understand what that says. If, if on day seven, my God looks back in Genesis chapter one, and he says in Genesis chapter two, he says everything was very good, then why did man have to evolve if everything was very good? It was perfect. So we're evolving to be smarter? No, if anything, we're evolving to be dumber. And evolution has no part in that of the teaching of God's Word. When you, when you intertwine the teachings of evolution into that of creationism, what you're doing is you're taking the seeds of Satan and you're doing, you're doing what the world would want you to do and dumb down creation to where really creation doesn't have the impact on the people that it ought to have. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I, I'm, you've got me fumbled now. Because what happens is, is as the psalmist goes through Psalm 104, he breaks it down and he's worshiping God for the creation that he has created. I'll go through it real quick. We're not going to read the whole psalm, but you can later. Psalm 104, verses 1, listen to this, verses 1 through 6, the psalmist speaks of the greatness and he gives, listen, he gives description to the days of 1 and 2. From, from verses 1 to verse 6, and what I had to do in my Bible is I had to just write that. I say, so so in, verse, in verses 1 to verse 6, he would say, hey, this is what my God did on day 2. This is what my God did on, on, excuse me, on day 1, on day 2, and my God is worthy to be praised. Then he goes on and he says in verses 7 through 18, the psalmist praises God for the things that were created on day 3. Then as he comes into verses 19 through 23, the psalmist reminds us what God created on day 4. When you get to verses 24 through 30, the psalmist speaks of the wisdom of God in creating all that was created on day 5 and day 6. We, man, was created on day 6. You should go read verses 24 through 30 to see what he says about us as man being created by an all-perfect God. And in verse 31, the psalmist speaks of the Sabbath, the day in which he rested. Not that he needed the rest, he just knew the wisdom that we needed and the fact that we need the rest. And what happens is, church, when you and I begin to dumb down that of Genesis 1 and that of Genesis 2 and that of Genesis 3, then it affects the rest of the foundation of our faith. One writer said it this way. One writer wrote, the link between the fear of God, remember we talked about that, that is having a proper reverence, having a proper worship, and having a meaning, an under, a proper meaning of who God is. The link between the fear of God and wisdom means we cannot possess wisdom if we recreate God in our own image. You can't do it. We must let the Word of God speak for what the Word of God says about God because it's God's letter to us. It ain't our letter to change. Too many people want to tame God, and I believe that is really what they want to do. Because when man can, can be more knowledgeable than God, then therefore I've put God in a box and I have figured him out. No, you've not. 
Too many people want to tame God into a non-threatening nobody. But if we redefine the Lord as a God that makes us feel comfortable, a permissive buddy who exists simply to bless us and give us what we want, we will not fear Him in the way He deserves to be feared. We will not worship Him the way He should be worshipped. We will not, we will not, we will not worship Him, y'all. We will not. Yes, we'll come to church on Sunday morning. Yes, we'll sing praises on Sunday morning. But my question would be is how is your praise on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? He's still God and He's still worthy to be praised. Not if He's been dumbed down. Not if He's just your Sunday morning genie. The Lord God Almighty is far greater than that. The fear of the Lord begins when we see Him in His majesty and power. And that's what the psalmist does. When he begins and when he closes, he begins with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord God, O Yahweh, my God, Thou art very great. He says in verse 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I am, listen, while I have my being. As long as you have breath, folks, we should be praising His name. My meditation of Him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. And what happens is, is we've lost sight of what the big deal is about when it comes to that of His creation. Because when we dumb down the creation, when we make the creation something that took millions and millions and millions of years, or when we make the creation not to be such a great thing, then we do disservice to that of the gospel. You see, you got to understand that in Psalm 19, my Bible teaches that my God reveals Himself through a general revelation. Let's turn there. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, the psalmist says these words. Listen to the words. Listen to the verbiage that it says. The heavens declare. You ought to underline that. That's that speech. It speaks. I, I don't know how y'all are. I'm from Boomer, North Carolina. All right. Proud of it. If you don't know where Boomer's at, good luck. It's a small spot on the map. What I used to do, though, as a kid, not so much now because I live in Statusville. But when I was a kid, we had a deck on the back of our porch, on, on the back of our house. And on that deck, there was this, there was this picnic table. It was an old picnic table. Uh, not much to set on, but a lot to lay on. And so what I would do is in the middle of the night, I would walk out on that deck. And as I would walk out on that deck, I would just lay down on that picnic table and I would look up into the heavens. Now, you got to realize something. In Boomer, North Carolina, we have very few streetlights. We got one flashing light. Very few. And you could see into the heavens. And as I began to ponder into those heavens as a young child, man, you wanted to ask the question, how much more are there? As we took a student group when I first got here to the, plant, uh, to the uh, observatory up on, uh, up on the Blue Ridge Parkway, we saw three young men. Three young men showed up there. They worked for Appalachian State University. I had a conversation with those three young men while my students were enjoying seeing whatever planets they could see during the middle of the day with that thing. 
I asked this question to them. Can I ask y'all guys, are, are y'all believers? This was their comment. There's no way you can't be. They said, when we showed up, we did not believe. But as you look into the heavens, there's no other explanation. Church, when was the last time that you realized, listen, that's why it's such a big deal. Because in creation, in the wisdom of God, it is revealed to man. You, you look at a flower, you look at a tree, you look at the stars, you look at the sun, you look, at, you look in this room. It screams, my God. It screams a, a great, a great wise creator. But if we teach our students and we teach our coworkers and we teach our, the folks in the marketplace that evolution has some kind, of, some kind of value within that of the teaching of God's word, we are, we, are, we are dumbing that down and we're losing the opportunity to say, no, 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 look at my God. Psalm 19 verse 1, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Love it. Shows it. Whew. Like, puts it on display. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Shows its speech and its knowledge. Guys, he, he declares it. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Do, do you understand? Listen to me. you, you got to realize something. That in Romans chapter 1, it says that there will be a time that all will stand before an all-wise God, an almighty God. And you will not be able to give an excuse as to why you do not know him. No one. you got to understand, though, the problem was as I was growing up, I was taught in a small church that, well, there might be that one Ethiopian. Bless their heart. They're always those Ethiopians. There might be that one across seas. There might be that one that's never heard the gospel. There, there might be that one. No, no, listen to me. God reveals himself to all men. And he does so through his creation. That's what the Bible says. Their line is gone, verse 4, their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, that's God, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit to the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. He reveals himself to you. He revealed himself to me. He reveals himself to all man. But what happens is, is we make light of it. We point people away from it. We tell them there's no way that's possible. And what we've done is we've hurt the witness. We've hurt that of what the Bible would teach directly against. We should point people to the wisdom of God. We should remind people it is God that has woven that, that young child together within the mother's womb and that it is a child and it isn't a lump of cells. Do, do you, listen, you ready? Do, do you realize that, that it, it, as long as we would teach, if we would teach creation and we would teach it in a way to where there was value of life, to where God valued life, God created man in a special way, God breathed the breath of life into man, life has a purpose, if we would teach that, I wonder how many of those senseless uh, murderings or those senseless shootings that takes place in our schools, if our kids were taught, listen to this, if our kids were taught that there should be value of life. When you tell them that life is no value and that we come from nothing but pond scum, then what should we expect out of them? 
what happens is, is we see the wisdom of God all through his creation because it points to his, his wisdom in that of salvation. Don't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we're reminded very plainly of that, of that coming of the Messiah. And that is that there would be this snake that would come along and bite the heel of that of, of this man. But this man would take his foot and he would crush the old serpent's head, which was a picture of what Christ would do as he would die on the cross for your sins and mine. The plan was woven all through Scripture. That's why we need to be in this book. It's not just a story told on Christmas morning in Luke chapter 2 and a story that's told out of the ends parts of some of the Gospels on Easter Sunday. This is something that is spoken all through God's Word. Got questions, put it this way. It's seen in the animals killed in the Garden of Eden to provide garments for Adam and Eve. The Gospel is. The ram that took Isaac's place on the, alt- on the altar of Moriah. The Passover lamb. The institution of the sacrificial system, the scarlet rope of Rahab, and the thousands of years of sacrifices performed at the tabernacle and temple. The scarlet thread runs all the way up to the John the Baptist declaring these words in the book of John. John chapter 1 and verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it takes us all the way to the foot of the cross where Jesus finally says in John chapter 19 and verse 30, it is finished. You see, church, the wisdom of God, knowing it from the beginning of time, as it spoke of there in the book of Ephesians, he, he's told us in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that's why the symbolism of the scarlet thread in the Bible is so significant. The wisdom of God just woven through. And it shows you picture after picture after picture of that of what? Of that of the salvation that God is bringing to His people. Because you got to understand something. While Psalm 19 verses 1 through 6 is a general revelation to all men, that isn't what saves man. The general revelation isn't what saves man. I had a young, a young man that I had the opportunity to work with. His name was John Brom. John Brom was a, 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 the people of the Montagnard people, if I'm saying that correct. It would have been the, the group of people that would have helped train American soldiers to fight jungle warfare during the Vietnam War. And his dad would have been one that would have taught the American soldiers how to do so. One morning... Uh, John wakes up to a dream. The reason why I know this, I asked John, John, what's your testimony? Because him and I worked together in Charlotte for a short season before I came here. And John would begin to tell me how he had a dream. And how in that dream, it was revealed that there was this man that kept saying, hey, you, you, you must come, you must come, you must come. So he wakes up and, and he tells his mom. And his mom says, listen, you need to run to the next village over. There's a missionary there. And as he comes to that village, the missionary says, Oh, son, it's Jesus. Let me show you what God's Word says. And it was as the missionary opened God's Word, began to read the Word of God, it was the Word of God that brought salvation into that young man's heart. Because you see, what happens is, is while God is revealing, He's drawing all men, He's revealing Himself, it's what happens after that that men do or don't do. Today in this room, there's those that are on the path of disobedience, the lost. And there's those that are on the path of righteousness. 
what happens is, is you and I, we must realize that if we dumb down creation, the wisdom that is found there, the wisdom that is crying out to all people, then the moment we do that, then we are now dumbing down the gospel. My Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. Don't turn there. I've got it written down. You can if you want to go fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Listen to what it says here about that of salvation. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. People look at that and they go, that's dumb. That, that makes no sense. Why would a man come that claims to be God? A man comes to claim to be God, lives a perfect life, does nothing wrong, dies on a cross, and he's resurrected from the dead. That is dumb. That is foolishness. If he really is God, then what he would have done is he would have set up his throne while he was here on earth. He would not have died for that of the people, and therefore he would have set his throne on then. The authority would have been then. I've heard people say that to me before. Because you must understand that message, the great wisdom of my God, that wisdom is far beyond that of man's wisdom. Now, I wonder about this. This is completely side note. Yeah, I'll do it. No, let's keep going. And so what happens is, yeah, I'll do it. So listen, you ready? It makes me wonder. But because of, of Eve, if, if she, because of the prophecy that was shared with Eve at that time, if Eve would have not so, told that to Cain, and Cain would not have believed that he was the one. I always wonder about that. Um, if, if he wasn't that, that child, that chosen one that God spoke of in the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. But because you see, guys, when you and I, we try to figure things out, when we try to make things... Um, um, and, 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 and once we figure it out, because that's how we are as humans, we, we have to figure it out. Once we figure it out, now we've, we, we've accomplished it, and, and we, we, are, we are king. And what happens is, is when we can't figure something out, then it drives us nuts. And God says, listen, you ready? This, this, whole, this whole cross, this whole gospel, it, it, it was not made for man to figure out. Because he says, but to those, but to us who are being saved, I love that, who are being saved, you should go look that up. It is the power of God. Or if you want to write in your Bibles, or one could say, powerful wisdom. I'll read it with that. But to us who are being saved, it is the powerful wisdom of God. It is his wisdom. It is his great wisdom. Because what happens is, is as you and I, as we are going about our day, as we are going about our growing, and we should be growing daily, you, your Bible should be open daily. You, 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 you should be uh, before the word daily. You, you should find a time in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, don't waste the time. It says that you and I should make the most of our days. And then it says that we ought to do what? We ought to, uh, don't be drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And to be filled with the Spirit of God, that's not just Sunday morning. That's an everyday thing. And what happens is, is when I'm filled with the Spirit of God, it then says that I will speak to, to, to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody unto the Lord, which is what He wants from us. But you see, if we don't understand Him, we don't fear Him, then we have no desire to do that. 
Let me finish Psalm 19. Let me show you what happens. God reveals himself in a general way through that of his perfect wisdom in creation. I love that. But then when you get to Psalm 19, verse 7, let me show you what changes a person's life. That's why, listen, you ready? That's why I believe it's so important for you to hold this thing. Take this thing everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. The other day, I'm, I'm at, uh, I won't tell you where. I, I was at this place. It was on the side of the road. We'll go it that way. And it was a place where they fixed cars. And while I'm there, I'm talking to this young man. As I'm talking to this young man, I say, hey, you, you need to start reading a proverb a day. I asked him if he was a believer. And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, read, read a proverb a day. Get, get in the words. Start getting in the word. Folks, I'm telling you, it's work. And what happens was, as, as I was telling him that, he says these words. Do you have a Bible with you? I'm like, yeah, I do. So I go to my car. I lay this Bible out on the hood of my car. And you would have thought, man, he was like, that is crazy. I love that. And I'm walking him through the Bible. And there's people walking by. There's people driving by. Guess what they're seeing happening? We're having a discussion over God's word. It's this that changes people's lives, not your opinion. Not you inviting them to church, although that's wonderful. I will tell you, it would do you better to share the gospel with them. You say, well, can the pastor not do that? Well, he can. That's not his job, though. That's your job if you're, if you're working with them, if they're a family member. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, you should because you put your faith in it. He says these words. Watch what he says. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Love it. That's what we have laying in front of us. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, watch these words converting, con converting the soul, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, make it wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlighten the eyes. The fear, there it is, the fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. What's that? That what God has to offer. Yea, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant worn. And in keeping of them there is great reward. Great reward. Who can understand his errors? Question mark. Cleanse thou me from my secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. That's when you're upright. I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Verse 14, this is the one we're familiar with. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing or acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And church, that is what changes lives. It is the word. It blows my mind when you have an Andy Stanley that says that we can disconnect ourselves from God's word. How can, we, how can the gospel be shared? How can it go forth if we've taken the Bible and we close the Bible and the Bible be what needs to be shared to people according to Psalm 19, not according to Pastor Scott? It's the word that brings the conversion. But it's the creation that draws them to him. It's the word that converts. And I close with this. Listen to what he says. This is God. This is God speaking. And it speaks here. 
there. I think I'm loud enough without it. I don't know. We'll try it one day. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 8. And I'm going to read it to a certain point. But I want you to understand something. That God's wisdom, it is crying out. In church, as a saved individual, you should desire to be in His Word daily. You should want to be... You should want to learn as much of God as you possibly can. Because don't forget, one day you're going to spend eternity with Him. Why would you not want to know? It's crying out in the streets. Listen to this proverb. Love this proverb. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places, by the way in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Everywhere, wisdom is everywhere. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O you simple, understand wisdom, and you fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Notice the heart there. Hear, hear, for I will speak of excellent things. That's wisdom. And the opening of my lips shall be right things. Never, never not perfect. Isn't it strange how we we go to God's word to get an answer for something? And we're okay with it until it doesn't give us the answer we want. And then what we do is instead of accepting the wisdom of God and changing our lives... What we would rather do is say, okay, not me. I'm going to go and you, we seek the opinion of man. Because we need man's patent of the back. We need man's confirmation. When we know exactly what God's word says, we've already found the answer. We know the answer. But we would rather turn away from the answer and go seek the, 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 the fine, great wisdom of man. That, that's what's here. We, we, listen, church. All the answers that a man needs to travel and to navigate this world here. And it's all of God's wisdom. But we rarely open it but once a week. For my mouth shall speak truth and wickedness is an abomination. That's a big word. You should underline that to to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth and right to them that find knowledge. You see, you're finding it. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. There's people that don't believe that. Wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. There's nothing greater. As a football chaplain, we have the opportunity to present senior football players with a good copy of God's Word. And I tell them football players this, you may not want this gift now. You may want it now. I don't know. But I will tell you this, it is the greatest gift that you'll ever receive. And if you'll take this gift and you'll put it in your glove box, you'll put it in your nightstand, you put it underneath your bed, I promise you, 
one day you're going to need it. Because there's only one place that we can find wisdom that is perfect. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord, there it is again, is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. And the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Wisdom hates it. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I am understanding and I have strength. By me kings reign. By God's wisdom and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me. I love that. Go to John 4. I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me. Yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yea, thy fine gold. The, and my revenue than choice silver. Now I want to show you something. Ready? Start, look, look in verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. What? You write Genesis 1 there. Because at the beginning of, of, of creation, God, His perfect wisdom is there. Why would we not want to point people to His creation? Well, because we have an improper view of His creation. Your God just ain't that big a God. My, my God is this God. He's the God of the Bible. He's the God that created this earth, as silly as the world wants to say that it sounds. He's a God that created this earth in six literal 24-hour days. That makes my God a big God. That makes my God an awesome God because there ain't no God like my God and there ain't no God that can do what my God has done. No one create, can create anything unless they have something that my God has created. And what we need to do, church, is we need to wake up, all right, Regardless of what science wants to teach us outside the walls of this church, when it comes to that of what God's Word says, we need to let God's Word ring true. We need to let God's Word say what God says, and we don't need anything else added to it. Because it's His perfect wisdom. 